turn to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. And again, I want to thank everyone who participated last week in the Adult Sunday School Survey last week. Uh, the information was indeed very helpful. Um, of course, there was some varying thoughts with anything. Like if I told you what, how you felt the temperature was in the church, I would get it's always too hot, it's always too cold, it's always just right. You'd, you'd have everything. So we have, you know, varying things. But there were some common thoughts um, and also some consistency, which is really good. We can leverage off of that. And once I organize that, uh, that information, those thoughts, and compile them, I'll be getting with Tim and Mike uh, to see if we, we may have some follow-up questions after we kind of review some of that and then attempt to apply what we learned from that to make Sunday school the best experience it can be had for one reason, for his glory. That's it, for his glory. Um, one area of consistency in the survey was to learn more about what pride is, how to combat it, and, and, and learn how to be humble. Um, now, it's not that we won't cover that in Sunday school in some form or fashion, but I decided that some preaching on the subject would be a good start in that area. So Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, is some familiar verses to you, I'm sure. Where withal shall I come before the Lord? In other words, how should, how should I come before God? Should bow myself before, and, and how shall I bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? With calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn my transgress for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk how? Humbly with thy God. Today's message will be entitled, The Root of Pride. Let's pray. Father, I pray your mighty blessings upon your word this morning. I pray your Holy Spirit would be here in power uh, to teach us, to preach at us uh, this thing called pride. And so, Father, it's, it's not such an easy thing at face value. And uh, Lord, may we see this though very simply today is my request and, and my desire, um, Lord, and I believe that's your desire, is that we would see pride in a very simple way today. And uh, that would be a start of learning about pride and I think a good place. Now, Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for those who've come to hear your word. And Lord, I just pray that uh, we'd have attentive ears and just guide my mouth today in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want to establish a few things about pride. Some of it's very logical. Pride is sin and something everybody has. As soon as we think we do not have pride, we have just proven that we have it. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not 
in us. Hey, this is just a fact of life in this world today, in this evil generation or this evil time we live in, the time of sin. It's something we're going to have to deal with. All of us have it. Number two, pride is something seen better by others than we ourselves. <laughs> you would think that you would be able to see it better than others, but others will see it better than you. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 3, common story. And he said, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt clearly to cast out the mote out of the brother's eye. And, and what's kind of interesting in this is, you know, when a mote and a beam, it's the same, referring to the same material. In other words, what you see in somebody else is actually what you have actually more of. It's actually kind of a good indicator, folks, if you think about it this way. When you see somebody in something that you're really sensitive about, or you see something in somebody's life, you might want to turn the direction and ask God, do I have a beam of that in my own life? Is that why, why that irritates me so much? It's kind of interesting that you'll go into, into places and, or, or meet with people and somebody will irritate the fire out of you and somebody next to you just doesn't seem to bother them that much. I want to think about that. Number three, pride is a sin of the heart and makes us susceptible to deception, to be deceived, self-deceived. Deuteronomy 11.6 says, Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Look at King Solomon. The wisest man to live. 1 Kings 11.3 says, And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Wow. You can be easily deceived in your heart. Job 31.9 says, If mine heart have deceived, been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid wait at my neighbor's door. He recognizes the deception even through a woman that can come into our lives. Isaiah 44.20 says, he feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside. That he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Jeremiah 49, 16, the terribleness hath deceived thee, and the pride of thine heart, O, that the, o thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, that holdest the heights, height of the hill, that though thou shouldest Make thy nest as high as the eagle. I will bring thee down from thence, saith the Lord. And then Obadiah, kind of an interesting uh, book here. Chapter 1, verse 3. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful, above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? Number four, when we talk about being 
humble or prideful, we are talking in generalities, folks. <laughs> Whether a person is considered a humble person or a prideful person. Even the most humble people, and, and we would go around and we might recognize some people and say, you know, that, they're, they're pretty humble. That's a humble person. I, you know, I say that of some. I recognize that, that character. But humble, even humble people struggle with pride in some aspects. So pride, folks, realize this, is a constant enemy for all of us. It's constant. Number five, we will therefore need to handle one another's pride. You've got to handle my pride. I've got to handle your pride. How do we handle that? There's not a cure for pride in a sin-cursed world. We're not going to totally fix this. However, God has given us a way to put a lid on it, I would say. Proverbs 17, 9, He that covereth the transgression seeketh, here's a key word, love. But he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. James 5, 20, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That's talking about teaching people about salvation and knowing the Lord. We'll talk a little bit or a lot about that uh, here in a little bit. 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things, above all things, he says, have fervent charity. Fervent, I mean, that's on fire. Fire of love among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. I'm going to give you an example, <laughs> a recent example. We played in the First Baptist Golf Tournament yesterday. And we had an interesting turn of events. We were 19 under par. We did really well, above what I thought we could do as a team. We managed things extremely well, and we weren't really playing extremely well. And so I was talking with Pastor Dutry, and then he was in behind me on the lunch line. He was talking to somebody else, and he said, yeah, there was this team next to us. He said, because he has a pretty good team. And he said, uh, they, they, were, they were driving a ball up near the green. They weren't talking about us, okay, because we weren't by their group. And he said, they, they were 19 under par. And I was like, whoa. I'm thinking, we were 19 under par. So, hmm, now we've got a challenge. So we go to the tournament, and they, they start giving out the prizes, and they're figuring things up. And... They go through like fourth place and third place, and then they announce there's a tie for first place. So there's a scorecard playoff, which means they go to the highest handicap hole, the most difficult hole, which, by the way, we strategically eagled it in case there was some kind of tie. We tried to do that. <clears throat> and so they announce one team as second place, and I'm thinking, we're first, we're 1900. Then they announce a whole different team. We're not even in the mix. And so, you know, afterwards, I just kind of let things, it wasn't a time to bring anything up at that, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> it might have looked kind of ugly. But afterwards, I mentioned it to her. I said, you know, we were, we were 19 under par, and she's looking. Oh, you were. I'm so sorry. 
let me get with Brother Money <laughs> how to deal with this, you know. And, uh, but, you know, everybody was leaving at that point. But, you know, I felt a little contentious spirit. In other words, that, that isn't right, kind of. You know that, that feeling you all get? Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. I have pride. You know, we, we won this thing. We did this thing. And even, to, even right now, because it was so messed up, they gave us second place because they gave it to something, you know, and they just swapped things around to make things right. But I'm still wondering, did we, did we really win? Because it was so goofed up, and I kind of want to know that, but that's just pride. You know, I just, you know how much pride we have, folks? <laughs> Contention is a great indicator of pride in our life. A contentious spirit can be recognized and felt Unlike the hidden deception of pride, contention in our life is like the alarm clock to wake us up to the presence of pride in our lives. But if we make a contentious spirit an acceptable characteristic of our life, you've, you've got the people who are always kind of contentious, that's just how I am, we are well on the way of carrying the label of being a prideful person. And we probably know people like that. Pride is a much bigger foe than we realize, and it is much involved in our everyday functions and relationships one with another. I've had some things in the past where I did was like ex exceeding prideful. I was like called out on it. And it still embarrasses me, even though it was way back in the past when I think about it, it's like, oh. That was just so ugly and prideful. But just to review some of the characteristics of pride, everyone has it. What is hard for us to see is quite evident to others. Pride is a sin of the heart, fosters deception, and when we say someone is prideful or humble, it's a general characteristic trait. Even the most humble people have battles of pride. Pride cannot be completely removed. While we live in this world, not only will we battle pride in our own lives, we will need to cope with the pride of each other. I'm glad that you do. I, I know people do that, overlook things that I do that are prideful, and I'm thankful for that. I want to focus on one particular aspect of pride this afternoon, though, and that aspect is the root of pride, the root of pride. I want us to understand the very, very roots, the very basic roots of pride. I'm praying that God will reveal to you the most simplistic definition and understanding of pride. Because I believe if you can get a hold of what pride simply is, if we can get a grip on what pride is, the easier it will be for us to recognize it and do something about it. Now let's start with a few Hebrew words that will help us define the English words in the Bible that we have. Now, I didn't do an exhaustive study. I didn't have time. Uh, you know, sometimes there's just a few words, you know, that talk about pride. And maybe, you know, a, a Hebrew word or if you're in the New Testament, some Greek words that you kind of look at. And it's somewhat simplistic. There is a lot of Hebrew words that are used to describe 
things of pride. And in the English, and in English we have a lot of different words that are basically pride. Now I'm going to go over some of those. The first one is go on. Go on. Means it's translated arrogancy, excellency, you know, excellency, majesty, pomp, pride, proud, swelling. Some these are some of the words we'll we'll read in our Bible. The other one is Zadon. Means arrogance presumptuously. And we're going to talk about that word presumptuously particularly today. Pride, proud. Gaia, lofty, figuratively arrogant, proud. <laughs> Zud, a primitive root to seethe. Esau's sod pottage. Or figuratively, to be insolent, be proud, deal proudly, presume, come presumptuously, sod. And then there's Zade, arrogant, presumptuous, proud. A lot of the same words in English, but a lot of different Hebrew forms, and a lot of them are based on each other. Um, so I'm not going to go into all that because I haven't really studied all that. It just was a lot bigger when I opened that up than I thought. Now turn to Psalms 19. This is what we're going to use for our text today. Psalms 19. This is a psalm at one point I had memorized. Um, but if you don't continue to memorize things, you start to falter on it. I just fell in love with this psalm, and I can't even tell you why I fell so much in love with it. I think just God put that, this psalm in my heart, and I'm beginning to understand it even more now. Psalm 19.1, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming forth out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and a circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from, here it is, presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Now in verse 13, we saw that word, or those words, presumptuous sins. This is another word for pride. Presumptuous, presuming something. 
on your own. What is the great transgression referred to in verse 13, do you think? It says, verse 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. The great transgression. What is that transgression? I think there's a couple of angles. As I sought the Lord, I see a couple of angles of what the great transgression is is turn to the book of Genesis chapter 3 you know I always go back to Genesis a lot but you know there's just foundations that are set there if you understand your Bible in whole you understand that there's foundations that are set in early on Genesis Genesis chapter 3 and we see here and I am going to have to Bible. <laughs> Underneath here. I thought I copied it in there, but I did not. Good thing it's easy to find. Huh? Still, I'll tell you what, when you get older, it's hard to, you can't feel the pages as well. All sorts of things start falling apart on you. Genesis chapter 3, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know and the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he goes on through there and we find that where God um, takes and makes them uh, new garments of skin. And we'll talk about the, that in just a little bit. But you know, Adam and Eve, thinking of the great transgression, I think this could be an explanation of it. They presumed that God was holding back something or not telling them something. They exalted their reasoning over God's word. God cannot lie. There is no bad in God. God is all good, folks. So when we get beyond that and we start thinking for ourselves and thinking God maybe need a little help here or maybe He doesn't understand everything or maybe He's holding back something from us and those kind of thoughts, it becomes presumption. It becomes pride. I believe one of the angles, this was the great transition. I want to think about it like this. 
There's a big can of sin, you know, like a paint can. Think of a paint can. And all that sin's contained in there. It's potential, okay? You know, as long as you don't touch it, as long as you do what God says, there's, it's, it's okay. And then pride is like that screwdriver. That Adam and Eve, the great transgression, popped that out and sin spewed all over the world. It infested the world and every person born into it. Adam and Eve were suddenly exposed. Innocence became, all of a sudden, became shame. They tried to hide and they tried to cover themselves. I mean, this is how quickly and how fast sin entered into the world. And then they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. I don't know about you, but... You know, we have a picture of this, what this looked like. We'll see them in our Sunday school <laughs> books. Or even you go to the Creation Museum and they have these things of what they were covered like. Now, I have a different picture of that. If you go to John's Airsoft War, Jace has this outfit, <laughs> if you've ever seen it. And it's like a bush, you know, it's like a walking bush, you know. I don't know. Adam and Eve might have looked like walking bushes, man trying to cover everything. But one thing I know they didn't think about, they probably didn't realize that the leaves would now shrivel up and die. But what did God do? He put a cover on them. It was a temporal cover in one sense, the skins of an animal, and in doing so he would shed blood for a temporal covering that would foreshadow the final cure for sin by preparing his son to die for the sins of mankind. The covering was love. It is received by faith. In the Old Testament, they believed in the coming of the Savior. When Jesus walked the earth, they had faith that he is the Son of God. Today, by faith, we look back and believe he was the Son of God. And by His resurrection, He lives today and He is the, still the Son of God who's going to redeem us one day. It's still all the same thing. It's just different time periods. But I want to go over Psalms 19 looking at there's three great witnesses here. And then here we're going to find the second angle of the great transgression or the great pride. Witness 1. I'm going to call it the witness of creation. Psalm 19.1 to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Folks, when we start talking about that, you know, God's got all this thing in control. I mean, we can't get a siren on in time to, to hide. You know, through a tornado. You've seen it. Phones went off. Time to do that. You know, things happen. And then all of a sudden, I mean, we have little control. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. 
and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. I look at this and of all people, guess what? The sun comes up every day, goes down. There's only one time in the Bible where it stood still for an hour, I think it was. We don't even think about it, do we? That just happens. It's really unexplainable when you think about it. That's God. Day unto day, people out in the world see this. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, every person in the world, around the world, sees the sun come up, sees it come down. It's the glory of God. It stands out. It's a miracle. It says, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. And up above that said, in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven and a circuit under the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Here's witness when I thought about this, and it just came to me that Psalm 19, I've been thinking about There's three great witnesses in this world. When we go talk to people, number one, go look out there. That's enough to send, that's a witness in itself enough to send somebody to hell. There's, there's no way, there is total ignorance of evolution and trying to explain things of things that are. It just, there is no end to it. The Bible talks about that. God created it. I mean, you start to look at it. Nobody can stand against that. No matter what they say and what they act like, go look at that and you tell me. And you're a fool if you don't see a God out there. God has no problem. He's judged this. He's Psalm 19. Here's the first witness to mankind. Number two. His word. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Witness number two, this word of God. How it was written, the many authors, the candor, the prophecies. There's no other bit of literature that would ever have prophecies like this. This stands out as much as that stands out there. This word of God, there is nothing, there's no literature that even comes close to it. You can go to ancient Japanese stuff that they have, that they've come up with, none of it. It, it. it pales to this. There's nobody in their right mind, and God gave people brains, that they could deny that this isn't something supernatural. You cannot deny God through His word. Witness number three. Oh, this is good. The grace of God through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. David, he didn't know Jesus per se, the name and what was going to happen, but he knew about a Redeemer. And listen to what he says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. 
we talk about it today, it's realizing you're a sinner and you can't help it. You are guilty. That's what David's pretty much saying this right here. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. That's where we're at. Uh, let them not have dominion over me. We're going to have them, but by God's grace, let's not allow pride to have dominion over us. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent, it says, from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and redeemer. Jesus Christ is a fact. Many infallible proofs of his resurrection. You, you can listen to whatever people want to lie about that. It's historical facts. His Bible is as historically accurate. You can't deny it. There's three witnesses you need to let people know about. Because of those, under two or three witnesses, that will be condemned. It only takes two out of those. But that last one, here's the other angle of the great transgression. You deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the great transgression. It's when... When people ignore the fact of God and his creation, they ignore the supernatural witness of his preserved word, ignore the fact of Jesus Christ. The first great transgression angle was opening up the can. The second great transgression is man's trying to put the lid on the can. They can't. But they try within themselves. That is the very basis of pride, trying to work salvation out yourself. And there's all sorts of ways of people trying to do that. Luke chapter 18 gives a very vivid picture of two men, one who by pride would be judged because of the great transgression, and one who by humility would be saved from the great transgression. Look at Luke chapter 18. It fits very well in the context of what we're talking about here. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. A story you're familiar with again, no doubt. It says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. Look at all the works. Look at, look at all this uh, self-will stuff. I give tithes of all that I possess, and I hope you guys don't brag on what you do for the Lord. You just do for the Lord. He gave you the hall to you anyway. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. 
Pastor Reader kind of made reference to, you know, truly being repentant. He said, but he smote on his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. That's as simple back in the garden was, was that. They exalted themselves above the knowledge of God. As simple and as light as that is, that was horrible. It says, in bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here's, here's a good way to be humble. 2 Thessalonians 2.1 Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye not soon be, soon be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letters from us, is that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showeth himself that he is God. This is the father of pride. One day he's going to take the most high pride seat and he's going to be wiped off of it. He shall dig his own pit that he shall be cast into. Pride. And that's the little trick he used early on that infested this world with sin that we still deal with today and we deal with in ourselves. Pride is really the result of not properly positioning God. Another theme I kind of see God using here today, if you're picking it up, is praising him. I heard it in Sunday school. If you look in your bulletin, there's some verses about praising God. You know, we, I thought about this at work. There was a fellow who came in, I forget it was UPS or uh, FedEx, or, you know, and they do their thing and they say, hey, you know, have a nice day. You know what I should say? God is good! He should be more like that. See what he says. Let me show you how good he is, fella. Get him thinking, doing something. What will we do? You have a good day, too. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but man, we need to get God in his rightful place. We need to be praising him. He's awesome. He's good. Anything else? It's pride. Some humble people, there's some humble people in the Bible. I think I'll talk about that next week. And it's interesting. We'll learn a little bit more about pride through some of the people in the Bible. But there's some humble ones. There's a lot of people who, you know, go through things. 
Um, but there's some in there that are, you would say, that, those, are, those are some pretty humble, humble people. But we'll save that for next week. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, piano's coming to play. Pride. What it simply is, it's that screwdriver that pops up uh, into all sin. We need to keep that lid on. And let me also say this. We need to love one another in our pride. Overlook (laughs) some things. We need to work together. We need to call it out in our own lives. We need to I could just look at some of the things and some of our, just in the simple things. I could explain like the golf tournament, but there was probably four or five other things I could that probably happened in the day that revolve around pride. And it's ugly. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We need to think soberly as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We'll care for, love one another, treat each other much better when we get rid of that old pride. And now, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, if you haven't humbled yourself to the fact that there's nothing of you and all of Him, you stand in the way of the great transgression and you will be found guilty before God. There is no excuse for anybody in this world. And if that resonates with you, take that and take that out to a lost and dying world, to your friends, to your acquaintances. Come in on Wednesdays and just continue to learn how to be a soul winner. Let's come in with some stories of where we tried where we failed. But all for God's glory. We've got an opportunity to give God the glory through, through our lives. something about that name song. You know, I don't understand music. I mean, Pastor, you're talking about the songs. and How do you sing those? I mean, you look at some of them. And then there was a song that was taught to Moses about the people that, uh, and he said they, they should sing that. And I'm like, I just can't fathom it. But one thing I do know, music is like, everybody is moved by music. <laughs> and uh, has a sweet sweet song and it just ministers to our heart as the Holy Spirit talks to us. Thank you, Katura, for playing. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Uh, just pray for close to home, Lord God, that we may be able to help some people there and, and also for us to be blessed by them 
It's wonderful to serve you. We want to tell you we love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You are